0: This is Kids in 80s America, the movies you remember from the decade you'd like to forget. I'm Kevin Smokler, and this week we're talking to writer A.J. Jacobs. Welcome to Kids in Eighties America: the movies you remember from the decade you'd like to forget. I'm Kevin <laughs> Smokler here with my guest this week, AJ Jacobs, the fantastic writer, and uh, soon to be a lot of other things. I understand. AJ, how are you? I'm
1: good, thank you. How are you, Kevin? Very well. It's great to talk
0: to you again, and uh, I'm glad we had the idea to do to uh, do this. You're you're always we've hung out a few times and you're always a great fun to hang out with, but I did right, I I not you. know that you had a favorite eighties teen movie tucked in your back pocket that you were eager to talk about.
1: I sure do. Yeah, I have seen it. I would say approximately like, you know, up in the high twenties, 26 or 27 times. <laughs> uh, Cause I had it on the VHS tape and I would just come home with friends and we would watch it over and over. Um, I actually just recently rewatched it. I hadn't seen it probably in 20 years, so oh, okay. uh, just to refresh myself. <laughs> uh,
0: why don't we tell the good people what you're talking about?
1: I'm talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the uh, 1982 uh, classic
0: directed by Amy Heckerling. Um, not a hit in its day, but uh, as of late, in the Library of Congress's National Film Registry.
1: Yeah, good for it. It is. It is a
0: classic. Tell me about the first time you uh, you got a glimpse of Fast Times at Ridgemont High.
1: Well, I remember I did not see it in the theater. I, I went to camp. I grew up in New York City, and there was a kid at camp who grew up in the suburbs who said you have to see this movie because I guess he connected more because he was in the suburbs. So no. when I got back, that's when I rented it, and I was like, even though I didn't grow up in the suburbs, I mean, I, I just I just thought it was such a realistic look at high school, something I had never seen. And I loved it because ever there there were so many memorable scenes that still I think about all the time. You know, and, and the characters. Jeff Spicoli is uh, played by Sean Penn. And by the way, what what shocks me is Sean Penn is so good at comedy. Like that he was so funny as Jeff Spicoli. Why doesn't he do comedy anymore? You have you seen him in a cop? I haven't seen him in a cop. It's
0: a really good question. He did a overlooked yet underrated comedy in the early 90s called were no angels with uh mm-hmm. with robert de niro where they played priests and it's a tiny little movie and uh and and wallace Shawn, that great supporting act that great supporting character sure, actor sure. of many 80s teen movies has a part of, as kind of as kind of of an angry neglected priest
1: in that movie but it, and what is, what is- uh, Sean Penn
0: play in that movie? Sean Sean Penn and Robert De Niro together play. I believe they play ex-cons who kind of hide out as priests, okay. um, right. in a monastery. Um, I, I I think I saw it in the theater and haven't seen it since. But <laughs> um, the movie does make does make excellent use of Sean Penn's comedic chops. And and I think you ask a really good question. Like I I think he's got another good half dozen comedies in him
1: that yeah, he's never fully taken ring. advantage of. I mean spicoli is unlike any character he's ever played again like this like ridiculous stoner dude even even the comedy you mentioned sounds more sean pennish like because he does play sort of these low-level gangsters uh, a lot uh so anyway that's my career advice to sean penn which i'm sure (laughs) is very grateful for
0: Tell me, were you were you a, a a contemporary of this movie? Were you in high school when it when it came out, or, or were were you younger than
1: it? Were, were, it was 1982, I, was it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I was. I was born in '68, so I would have been 14, so right around there. Uh, and um, yeah, and I definitely it was different than my experience, but it was just such a joy to watch and a joy to rewatch uh, now from a totally different point of view i mean first of all mr hand i definitely i empathize with mr hand i mean (laughs) having spicoli in the classroom would have been a major pain in the ass and i thought he actually handled it with humor uh you 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 may be the first you may
0: be the first non-public school teacher to ever say that (laughs) (laughs)
1: I can relate to Mr. Hand now, and now I've gone to his side. He was, and if you haven't seen it in a while, he was Ray Walston playing Jeff Spicoli's history teacher, and he was not into Spicoli's antics, so Spicoli ordered a pizza into the classroom, and Mr. Hand took it from him and distributed it to the class, and um, and the look on Spicoli's face when everyone else was eating pizza is, is just priceless. But listen, that's, you know, I think that was a fair punishment. He didn't throw the pizza out. It didn't go to waste, but uh, he, uh, he gave it to others. So, yeah, I loved that, and I loved the... Um, you know, when I was I searched for uh, for Fast Times at Ridgemont High on Google, and guess what was the first thing that pops up in like the auto suggest? Tell me, Fast Times pool scene. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh. very telling of the internet because yeah, that was of course the famous scene where Phoebe Cates—it's a fantasy scene where Judge Reinhold imagines Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool and taking off her top. And apparently, that is something people want to see
0: and And do you remember the music that's playing when that when that scene happened?
1: i I kind of remember it. It's like a lot of heavy guitar. What was yeah. it? Do you know it, what it was?
0: yeah, it's it's a song from the first album by the cars, the self-titled album. And the song uh, is actually called "Moving in Stereo."
1: Oh um, interesting.
0: Yeah. The first line is uh, uh, something I, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but something like uh, lights are down. I'm moving in stereo. And it was, yeah, it was sung by Benjamin Orr, not Rick Cassic. And, um, and if you do, a, if you do the same search you did um, on moving in stereo pool scene, you will get the famous pool scene from Fast Times at Richmond High. You will also get Maybe a dozen and a half parodies of that scene oh, that oh,
1: interesting. Yeah, like that have
0: what? showed. Yeah, on Trump out of or
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's been on. It's been on pretty much every animated Fox show you can imagine. It's been, oh,
1: on, sure, sure. It's
0: been on many a sitcom. Basically, that song is now synonymous with sort of unrequited teenage boy lust
1: (laughs) well what was interesting i read a couple of articles in preparation for this and i did not know the behind the scenes story of that scene because as you know uh judge reinhold's character uh she opens the bathroom door to find him pleasuring himself Mm -hmm. i don't know if i don't want to give you an e uh (laughs) but but yeah but he unbeknownst to her or the rest of the cast actually had bought a sex toy in the shape of a penis, and was was uh, going to town on that. <laughs> so she, the face that you see, the face of disgust, is an actual face of disgust on on Phoebe Cates's face, uh, which I thought was very interesting. I mean, ethically, it, it brings up questions. Ethically, all the you know when when actors surprise other actors to get a genuine reaction like what are the ethics of that i think she's she's probably recovered from seeing that but uh <laughs> it was it was fascinating i did not know that did you yeah, had you heard that
0: i hadn't uh, and, and in my mind that scene now joins the the pantheon of scenes like when tippy hendron was running up the stairs in the birds and and at the top of the stairs was Alec whipping birds at her uh, right <laughs> that's how they got that reaction. And, and you know, the exactly. last moment of guess who's coming to dinner where, uh, S- Spencer Tracy goes off script and it becomes this monologue about how he loves his wife, which is actually a monologue about how he loves Catherine Hepburn and Catherine oh. Hepburn's tears in that scene are a hundred percent real. Wow. Um, I didn't know that one. So, yeah. There's, a- so there's, there's a, there's one of the great things about being a movie lover is all of these little stories as to how the scenes that are so memorable came to be because, uh, no matter how memorable they are in their mind, they were at one point, they were just another day on set for somebody. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that, was, that was the story of their birth. But
1: that's interesting.
0: Um, uh, tell me, did you um, so did the first time you, you did not see this movie in the theater when it first came right. out? Um, you said you saw it at camp, I'm assuming on a on a camp, you know, pull out screen or on a VHS tape or something like that.
1: No, I was told about it by a fellow camper. Oh, okay. And I didn't see it until I got home and rented it. We had a video store when they still had those mm-hmm. two blocks from our house, and it was actually an amazing video store. It had like a, it was not Blockbuster. It had an an astounding selection of foreign films mm-hmm. which I don't actually even watch those anymore, I don't watch foreign films, but in high school I was pretentious enough to watch uh, like all of them, so I got them out of my system, but yeah, and of course they had fast times, and I remember renting it over and over again.
0: It's worth noting that mentioning that that Fast Times is kind of an ensemble piece of uh, the stories of a half a dozen high school students, um, and they inter- intersect and overlap and 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 until they uh, uh, until they are all kind of tied up at the at the end. Uh, it, it, the right. story spans essentially two semesters of a high school year, and beginning with the first day of school and ending with the graduation dance at the end of the semester. Um, yeah.
1: And we should also mention that it's semi-based on a true story that Cameron Crowe, when he was 22, went undercover at a high school in California and spent a year there and wrote a book about the lives of the kids. And this movie is based on the book. Yeah, it was
0: actually it was actually his high school that he had gone back to as um, as a twenty two year old, and he called himself David Cameron instead of instead of Cameron mm. Crowe because he was a young looking guy. He was able to pass as a transfer student. Um, right, I think I I. I I've never actually thought about this until this moment but I I feel like there's a, a supporting or small part character in many of his movies with the last name Cameron um mm-hmm. the uh the the yeah. goofy guy at the at the end of school dance and say anything is named Mike Cameron and um uh-huh. I wonder I wonder if that's a if that's a Cameron crow inside joke for, uh, calling back to his days of, of working undercover writing fast times at Richmond High but
1: I like it I think you've discovered a little uh, little Easter egg for us. <laughs> So the
0: characters played by Jennifer Jason Lee, Stacy Hamilton, and by Brian Backer, named Mark Ratner, are both sophomores, and pretty much everybody else in the movie is a senior. So you would have been about the age of of Rat and Stacy when you saw that movie. Right? Um, did the, did the other characters? Did the other characters feel older to you? Did they feel like Did they feel like characters you you would? eventually be that you would look up to 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 talk about kind of the age differential between you when you first saw the movie and most of the characters in that film
1: right well I think uh, you know the character played by Judge Reinhold was like You know, he was at least in the beginning a man about town. He had a cute girlfriend, and he had a job, and that was way off for me. I was like, that guy is is ahead of me, Um, and so I guess I did. I, you know, I was more the Mark Ratner. I was definitely Mm -hmm. the Mark Ratner. uh, That's who. Who, by the way, another fact I did not know Mm -hmm. that he went on to uh, create the Dummies series. Yes, you know for dummies. that's crazy yes the guy the, real life. The, <laughs> the one who is based on mark ratner so good Exa- for him yes yes for the real, real life mark ratner him. is a billionaire now <laughs> yeah god that makes me so happy <laughs> uh so yeah i definitely i i and i don't know i i probably was smoking a little pot at the time but uh you know i was not spicoli up to spicoli's level um I think one big difference was that they all had jobs. You know, they were all so uh, enterprising. They all had these mall jobs. And we I didn't grow up in the mall uh, in New York. You know, you just went to Central Park or to people's houses. So um, I like that. And I also liked, um, I, I think I always loved the language of the movie. Uh, because there are lines there that still just make me laugh. The way there were, it's all like... When um, Mark Ratner's friend, the sleazeball who sells concert tickets. Uh, Mike DeMone. Mike DeMone. DeMone, When he's telling Ratner advice on how to treat a lady. And he says, uh, you got to order for her. You got to say, the lady will have the linguine with white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice. Like to me, just the phrase linguine with white clam sauce. And the specificity of a Coke with no ice, just Coke with no ice is like, you get that extra little like half an ounce of Coke. It's just so funny to me every time I hear it. Uh, I come here for the strudel. <laughs> the strudel.
0: That's a good word. I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned those lines and Mike Damone, Because I read an interview with um, Robert Ramus, the actor who played Mike Damone, And he kind of conceived Mike Damone as like a refugee from New Jersey. Like mm. in, in what is a very, a very Southern California film.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Even though it was
0: Cameron Crowe grew up in San Diego and it was written by someone from Southern California, but it was directed by Amy Heckerling, who was a native New Yorker. Mm. So I I always felt like that movie had those dual coastal sensibilities. Can can you can you talk a little bit about seeing this very Southern California film from the perspective of someone who grew up in New York City?
1: Well, I think, yeah, it was, as I say, we never went to the mall and also driving was not a part of our culture. So Mm -hmm and what a big deal it was to get a car so that was interesting to me and one of the scenes that i still think about a lot is when jeff spicoli is with the um the brother of the the football player and they're driving the car and they just smash it up they like practically total the car and right after spicoli says don't worry he's and i'm paraphrasing he's like my dad's a TV repair man. He's got the ultimate set of tools. I can fix it, yeah. and it's just such a ridiculous line because it's so delusional. It's so clear. There's not. You're not going to fix this car. It's total. You're not going to fix it with like some hammers from your dad's tool set. Uh, but I think that that is. Um, it's a nice metaphor for life. Like you do have to sometimes just have that delusional optimism that. You can fix it. You can fix. I. You know. You have a set of tools, and you can fix it, um, even though there's just no way you can. Sometimes you just have to tell yourself that. Uh,
0: and, and, and obviously, I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying this, but but tell everybody the solution that that Jeff Spicoli comes up with to this to the seemingly insurmountable problem of destroying the the school's the school football star's car.
1: Right. So he destroys the school football star's car but he and uh his friend decide to blame it on the rival high school so that they spray paint on the car the name of the rival high school and how their high school sucks and actually i thought that was a little out of character for spicoli it seems too smart for him i mean it is it is a brilliant like bait and switch and it worked but (laughs) That seems like something he would not have come up with. So maybe the brother came up with it. That seems more likely.
0: Let me tell you how I how I read that moment in 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 accordance with Spicoli's character. I I, I think Jeff I think I think Jeff Spicoli is one of the great characters from teen movies of that age, or really movies from any age for that matter. And and sure. I I, think, I I kind of put him in a league with. Bluto from Animal House, and um, Long Duck Dong from Sixteen Candles, mm. and and Chris Knight right. from Real Genius, um, mm. characters that are that are as much sort of forces of nature that as they as they are characters, where you can imagine them kind of leading a whole life outside of the movie they're in, and just sort of pausing in the movie to be themselves for an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder if, um, so, and I think the thing that those characters all have in common, despite being resolutely themselves and sort of seeming to spring from nowhere, is they're all destructive by virtue of not being very aware of what happens around them. Um, mm. But they're never cruel. It, 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 mm. It's never, their, their destructive behavior is never pointed at anybody and it's never done at anybody's expense.
1: Yeah, that is true. They really aren't They aren't bad people. There's no, like, bullies. They're just sort of misguided and make some bad decisions, which is nice. Uh, and I will say, um, you know, watching this, I thought it would be fascinating. A couple of things. One would be to see where is the guy who Jeff Spicoli is based on, where is that real person now? Because I'd like to meet him, and, you know, that would be a great article, like hanging in – Maybe doing some bong hits with a real Jess Yeah, Like what's he like as is, is you know, is he a sad fifty uh, two year old who's unemployed, or, you know, did he break out of his stoner personality and he's like a Silicon Valley billionaire? Like what happened to him? Uh, and I also think it'd be interesting you could do a, a sequel with the jeff spicoli fictional character like what would it be like following him after he and just having it watching it get grimmer and grimmer and grittier and more depressing because uh, it could be they play it as a comedy but it could be a tragedy this kid who's just like ruining his life and mind and uh you know never goes anywhere uh, yeah, you could, uh,
0: so in that version, you could almost imagine his little brother Curtis as a grown adult, like running an insurance office in Van Nuys or something, saying, "Jeff, when are you going to clean up your act?" And, right.
1: And, exactly.
0: And it's Jeff, like, being fall like fall. go away, Curtis. I don't hear you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it would be. I often think about that. Like, if you take the premise, like The Simpsons, I think it'd be very interesting to watch that as a tragedy, because it is, you know. It, if you take out the jokes, it's this guy, an incompetent guy who works in a nuclear power plant, hates his job, and chokes his son. Like, that's how yeah. he punishes his son. So, and, and he's an alcoholic, obviously. So, what would that look like, The Simpsons Tragedy? Yeah,
0: it's almost like, when when viewed in the way you're describing it, it's like, it's it's a Richard Yates novel, basically. It's, you know. <laughs> it's this it's this terrible story of like of like quiet suburban depression desperation isn't it
1: right right (laughs) and you've got this like you know you've got the one smart daughter just stuck among these uh, this horrible family and uh you know how does she relate to this it's actually it's an interesting it's an interesting family dynamic
0: let let's let's go with that idea a little bit and and talk about it like there there's a couple of really sobering moments in fast times at ridgemont high um most of which are with the character of stacy hamilton played by jen played by in her first movie role by by the now sort of greatest actress of her generation jennifer jason lee um and i think you know the the scene where she loses her virginity is is about the unsexiest losing of one's virginity in movie <laughs> history and then so true, and, and then there's a scene, sort of, and again, i'm I'm not spoiling anything by saying this, but there's a scene where where she has an abortion, and her brother played by Judge Reinhold, drives her to it uh, in a scene that's, you know, thirty years ahead of its time, really. but um but still manages to be sort of, sobering and sad in a movie where that really isn't in a movie where those 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 kind of moments are the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. How did they how did they how did they resonate with you then and how do they resonate with you now in a movie, you know, in a movie that really, really is a comedy, but 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 has moments of real, real sorrow.
1: Well, that what you said is I—that uh, was my reaction as well. I'm like, oh my God, this—they filmed this in 1982. I mean, still in movies, you don't see uh, abortion very often, and they—I thought they handled it really well. Uh, you know, it was not judgmental, and it was actually when her brother picked her up, and instead of scolding her and said, are you all right? Uh, to me, that was so touching. Uh, and it made me love the Judge Reinhold character. I was like, you know, he has his flaws. He's kind of a doofus. He was, you know, he was arrogant. He was going to dump the, his girlfriend. But uh, but this made me realize, you know, what a mensch. He, he saw his, his sister in pain, and uh, instead of... Berating her or, or ratting on her to the parents. He just was there for her. Yeah,
0: I I feel like I feel like Amy Heckerling as a director and a screenwriter is better at that than just about anybody. Like if you look at if you look at everything she's done from from beginning at Fast Times and going on through Look Who's Talking to Clueless to um And and even the work she does on TV right now on shows like Red Oaks, you're talking about someone who manages to be sweet without ever giving up the stuff we see as oppositional to sweet. You know, Mm. her movies never lose their wicked sense of humor. They never lose their cynicism. They always manage to be sweet without ever seeming falsely so.
1: All right. What else did
0: she do? Amy, Uh, Amy Herkerling? Uh, the, the look who the three look who's talking movies, um, and most famously Clueless. Uh, you know she's sort of responsible oh, for two right. for two right, right. defining teen movies in both in one in the eighties and one in the nineties. Um, but yeah, Clueless has yeah. a lot of moments like that too that are, that are sweet without ever kind of giving up the ghost.
1: Right. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I mean, because Clueless is so stylized. You know, you're not going to see an abortion in Clueless because it is—it's more of this. You know, it's created a a much different world. Um, but I I do agree with you. It's it's got some sweetness, uh, but it's it's super sharp and funny. It's a little yeah. creepy. The whole stepbrother step, <laughs> sure. romance. Yeah. But, uh, but actually i just wrote a book on family so i'm trying not to judge mm-hmm. uh you know different family structures mm-hmm. there's a, i have a whole chapter on first cousin marriage and whether it's uh it should be uh, acceptable and legal and i i you know i'm not adv- an advocate of it i don't think it's something i would choose for my kids but uh but i don't think it should be illegal so maybe the same with stepbrothers and stepsisters (laughs) from
0: the point of view as someone who's got a book coming out about family let's let's look at fast times as a book where the central relationship is a brother and sister and, and yet no one none of the other kids in that movie seem to have parents I mean, the parents Mm. are are basically absent from that movie. We get a walk-on for Jeff Spicoli's little brother. But the family dynamic seems sort of confined to Judge Reinhold and Jennifer Jason Leigh, and everybody else seems to sort of uh, be a, a putative orphan, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, well, that was fascinating. And one of the articles I read about this was talked about how Amy Heckerling, when she read Cameron Crowe's book, was really astounded by how mature these kids were and mm-hmm. how they all had jobs. And it was almost like they were little adults. And yeah. the fast and so fast I times. Think, right, there you go. Mm-hmm. So she was, I think, obviously made a conscious decision. like I want to present them as little adults even though they're in high school. And I think having the parents would diminish that. Yeah,
0: I, I have this I have this sort of half-baked theory that I that I circle back to every now and then when talking about teen movies that you can even you can tell the quality of a teen movie by how well it by ironically how well it casts the grownups. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it it is a certain kind of challenge to cast your leads well. It I think it's an even greater challenge to sort of, you know, retain your your, your discipline and interest on the supporting characters who who, who's, <laughs> who where not as much of the movie rests on them. Right. And, and it, it, it's really hard to imagine a better cast set of high school teachers than Ray Walson as Mr. Hand and, and the late great Vincent Schiavelli as Mr. Vargas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was fantastic. Uh and, well, what do you think was a successful parent uh, in a teen movie and what, what did not work? I, I
0: think if you look at the work, for example, if we're talking about the same sort of era as Fast Times at Ridgemont High, if you look at the work Paul Dooley did as the father in Breaking Away and then five years later as Molly Ringwald's father in in 16 Candles, I mean, that's I, I feel like that's just an exceptional parent role. Um, mm. uh, a role that is basically thankless from the point of view of the movie that Paul Dooley just, just, just fills from inside with humanity. Mm. Um, I think, uh, I, I think, you know, I think the, um, I think the, uh, the, uh you know, Dan Hedaya playing, uh, th- this is a decade later, but Dan Hedaya playing Cher's father in, Six- uh, right. in Clueless. I, I, I yeah, think one yeah. of the sweetest moments in that movie, which is, is when, is when he says to her, who takes care of everybody in this house? I haven't seen that kind of responsibility since your mother's passing. Mm -hmm, And, and I think that has a very, a a very, you know, not obvious, but very, but, but very significant parallel to the great kind of adult kid moment in fast times when Mr. Hand comes over to Jeff Spicoli's house on the day of the, on the evening of the graduation dance and says, well, I guess we're going to, we're going to, go over the we're gonna take back the
1: eight hours of time you've wasted in my <laughs> class over the semester. And I also like that scene because he he showed such compassion. Like he only kept him there for an hour or two. And he did eventually let Jeff Spicoli go to the dance and smoke pot. So um I thought that was nice that he uh, that and then it's also, you know, when I'm when I watch as a teenager I'm sure I thought, you know, what a dick. But that's a that is a good teacher, like who cares enough to go to the house and give, you know, make sure that the kid understands the topic. Uh, I don't think it was a totally vengeful act. I think as a teacher, he he said, this is my job. I'm going to try to save this kid. Uh, So all props to Mr. Hand.
0: Yeah that 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 scene has 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 my favorite line of dialogue from from Fast Times it could, can you you want to take a guess as to what it
1: is Well is it that Jefferson said these laws are bogus <laughs> Yes of course What <laughs> was that the- I don't,
0: McCoy, I don't the exactly. explains the constitution in two sentences right <laughs> 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 and, oh. And Ray Walls, I mean, uh, uh, I'll do the last three words. And if you remember it, do Ray Walson's reaction. And if we don't get some cool rules ourselves, pronto, well, then we'll just be bogus, too. <laughs> I think he,
1: Ray Wal says close enough is that what yeah, he says
0: exactly. he sort of I mean it's it's perfect it, it's only something like an actor who had been at it for forty years before that movie came along could do but he kind of <laughs> closes the book, puts it in his lap and goes very close Jeff
1: <laughs> <laughs> a very close
0: um tell me do you do you have a favorite um? Line of dialogue. And don't feel like you have to pick just one. But do you have a favorite from from the Fast Time script?
1: Well, I do. uh, You know, the delusional optimism of I can fix it is one I always think about. And also the one I mentioned before, the lady will have a linguine with white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice just because how specific and absurd it is. I also like when Mike Damone says, you got to ace that jacket just using the word I've never heard it used before or since to mean, like, you've got to get rid of. you got to ace that jacket. Yeah. Uh, it just cracks me up that they had um, the little uh, lingo, the teenage patter. Yeah. Um, he also, Mike DeMone, when he said, uh, he said, the shyness routine is really starting to aggravate me. <laughs> I love the word aggravate. Like, you yeah. don't hear that enough. And, uh, yeah, that, those are some of the ones that stick in my mind yeah it's, oh and aloha of course aloha was a big one aloha mr hand that always cracked me up just hearing that
0: right to which he says aloha Spicoli," and then they shake hands <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah i mike Damone's. i mean the fact that
0: that the movie is so particular in terms of time and place i mean it is, it, you would have to put it in terms of Southern California in the early 1980s, you'd have to kind of put it in there with sweet Valley high novels and maybe the Frank Zappa Valley girl song, you know, Mm. for for sort of capturing the culture and the dialogue and the speech patterns of that time. But, but I I think you're absolutely right. That that Mike Damone seems to talk like someone who's been watching, you know, too many, too many has has seen blackboard jungle a few, a few too many times, (laughs) you know, (laughs) his, his, Speech patterns seems to be sort of uh, uh, mid rat packish kind of kind of mid century new Joseph Mitchell novel, Joseph Mitchell books kind of right um,
1: yeah and he's a great character because he's you know on the one hand he's a dick on the other hand he he's, he tries to be sympathetic he apologizes to Stacy which is a big deal he mm-hmm. um so yeah he's a prick but he's also there's some some redeeming qualities to them.
0: And, and you also get the sense that Rat and Damone are friends because because no one else would have them. You, mm, you get right. you get the sense that those two those two guys kind of there, there's a loneliness there that those two guys are, are are the only ones who understand the other.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, and and Mike Damone, I think he knows he's a loser, even though he pretends to be like a member of the Rat Pack. He knows that he's a loser. Yeah, he
0: he seems to be working very hard with his with his his demeanor and his ticket scalping business to sort of overcome some feeling of really not having anything. Right. 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 I I, I think I want to go back to the specificity you were talking about just a second ago, where like my favorite Mike Damone line is when he says to Rat, Rat, I can see how this is going to happen. It'll be just like last summer you fell in love with the girl at the photo, mat. you bought 40 rolls of film and you never (laughs) even spoke to her rat. You don't even own a camera. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I think it's, I think it's brilliant that in a movie that is by nature, by its very nature, episodic, meaning you're only going to catch little snatches of moments with each character that it manages to kind of, you manage to sort of get a complete picture of who these kids are. Um, Absolutely.
1: um, Well, I think in, that has a lot to do with the source material. I mean, the fact that this was the most realistic high school movie is, is no surprise because, you know, he went undercover and wrote what really happened. And uh, I love that about it. I, I think if it had been another, you know, like a 40-year-old guy trying to write a high school movie without having gone through that uh without having that such real uh source material it would it would just be hollow and horrible so thank god for cameron crow uh, yeah yeah i mean he and you know who would he would i think he would
0: he would do the same for high schoolers you know nearly a decade later and say anything and then for the experience of sort of being right out of college in singles immediately after that
1: oh so, i forgot he he did singles
0: yeah road and direct yeah. singles um ah, interesting. Uh, let me ask you something so much of fast times takes place at a mall um right. it, it, specifically the sherman oaks galleria which was sort of the birthplace of the phrase valley girl and valley girl culture um you growing up in new york city have said that, that 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 malls were sort of not part of your teen years and i grew up in a, i grew up in a university town where the mall was kind of on the outskirts and, and it was it was frankly a pain in the ass to get to the mall like you, you only went to the mall if someone would drive you there like mm. um, Otherwise, you pretty much you pretty much confined your activities to around campus because that's where all the, you know, that's where all the college students were. And that's where the businesses that catered to college students and hence were interesting to you as a high school kid were also. <laughs> so uh, all these kids spending time at the mall didn't make much sense to me either, because I, I, I always I always thought you just went to the mall to sort of go to the movies and go home. Um, right. What did what did. It, what did take Take me back to your first four or five viewings of this movie and and what did it <laughs> seem like where these kids kept coming back to this giant enclosed you know people aquarium, um, you know, like like homing pigeons to to mix a metaphor.
1: <laughs> yeah of course you know i never knew i never knew the little mall culture it looked kind of fun i gotta say because you had no supervision you know you yeah. went there without your parents uh, so there was a little uh, jealousy there it's also nice watching it as an adult because the mall culture seems to be dying you know amazon is killing the malls so it's, it's a nice little moment in time i also remember When I first started out in journalism, I worked in like a suburban California paper and I would I had to do some mall stories. I did a mall story. Let's see, when one there was a a mall that banned balls uh, like, you know, no balls are allowed. And that was a big deal. People got very upset. I had to cover that. There was also a sagging jeans mall story. They banned sagging jeans, which was a big, a big deal. And I just loved – I never knew about the mall culture, like the mall walkers. I think I did a profile of the, the local mall walkers who would, like, go for strolls in the mall. Like, you all meet up, and you walk around the mall, which is just – Yeah, the senior idea. citizens who, who – Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, so from that paper, you uh, – you, w- was Entertainment Weekly your next stop?
1: Uh, No, I went from that, which is a tiny newspaper in Antioch, California, to the New York – no, yes, to the New York Observer. And then after about six months there, I went to Entertainment Weekly, then to Esquire. Right, right. So
0: by the time – Tell me if I've got the if I've got the timeline correct here, because by the time you got to Entertainment Weekly, the the cast of Fast Times at Richmond High as sort of has sort of grown up and become famous, right? Right. Some of them, some of them. So so what was it like seeing these people you remembered from that movie now as as big celebrities and, and you as an entertainment journalist?
1: Well, I think that the weirdest one, of course, was Sean Penn, who is the exact opposite of Jeff Spicoli. You know, he is a serious, intense, uh, not-so-funny guy. Uh, and I don't think I ever interviewed Sean Penn. I don't remember that. I don't think I ever interviewed any of them, or else I think I would have brought up that I, I loved the movie so much. I, I do... Uh, I do feel bad that Judge Reinhold's, like like didn't become, sort of a Tom Hanks uh, success because I thought he was really appealing in that movie. He he looked he looked like he was 26. So, right. I don't know how old he was. But I'm sure he was in his 20s. So he totally looked out of place. But I thought he was very appealing like, as an actor, and a character. What what happened to him? Yeah,
0: I'd like to know. And, and and no slag to young, to the to the talents and the charisma of young Eddie Murphy. But the Beverly Hills Cop movies simply do not work without Judge Reinhold. I mean, he is he is the sort of sweet presence that mm. Eddie Murphy's brash I, Axel Foley needs to push against. And um, right.
1: Yeah, there uh, you go. I'm looking to see what he what he's done lately. Uh, bad grandmas. I didn't see that. Did that come out uh well anyway i wish that he had uh but i'm glad that he did find some success in beverly hills cup
0: yeah i mean it is quite remarkable how i mean i i I don't think these were the only young actors looking for work at that time but quite without meaning to amy heckerling managed to get three future oscar winners in the same movie Um, who were the others Uh, uh, Sean sean penn sean penn forrest whitaker and oh,
1: Forrest Whitaker, right?
0: And Nicholas
1: Cage. Um, oh, right, Nicolas Cage, who I didn't even see uh, this last viewing. I forget what what was he? He was waiting in line or something. What was he doing in this he's, movie?
0: He's one of the he's one of the cooks who works at All American Burger with um, mm. with uh, with Judge Reinhold. You and got and, it right. And I mean, you know, even in the small parts, the. Jeff Bacolli's two stoner friends are are Eric Stoltz and Anthony Edwards. You know, mm, right, right, right. Um, you know, long before Anthony Edwards would would you know make a bazillion dollars on ER, um, and uh, and you know before Eric Stoltz kind of became one of the one of the the bigger actors of that of that period that golden age of teen movies. Right. Um,
1: well, and wasn't Eric Stoltz, didn't he play a drug dealer in uh, Pulp Fiction or one of the Quentin Tarantino movies?
0: Yeah, he was. Uh, so Quentin Tarantino always has a character named Lance in his movies. Because the guy who gave him the job at the video store in Huntington Beach, wherever that was, early in his career, was named Lance. So mm. there's always a Lance in Quentin Tarantino's movies. And in Pulp Fiction, Eric Stoltz is the Lance. Um, Got it. Um, But
1: it seems like that that character, he... Could have gone in that direction, like yeah. Jeff Spicoli's friend could have become a drug dealer in LA. And, Very much uh, so. You,
0: you, you could, you could have seen. Had Eric Stoltz not played so many um, romantic leads in the nineteen, you know, in in some kind of wonderful and and in movies like that, you totally could. I, I could. Yes, I could see Jeff Spicoli's friend becoming that character, and I could have seen Eric Stoltz do it, having a lot, having a career a lot more like Crispin Glover, where he. Um, <laughs> Where he kind of play, you can tell Eric Stoltz doing kind of strange, off center, marginal people um, makes a lot of sense. Absolutely, if if you carry forward the DNA that was in Fast Times, right? Um, So, tell me, you've got you've got three kids.
1: I Um, do. Yes, none of whom have seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, The oldest is thirteen, and the twins are eleven. So I'd like to keep it away from them for another three or four years. We'll see how that goes. I mean, they may not even be interested in it because, uh, I don't know, it, it might hold up. I don't know. What do you think? You think it'll hold up with kids today? It, it's The pacing is... The pacing is not bad for a movie from the 80s i mean they they often find the pacing from 80s movies slow but Mm -hmm. this one is being an ensemble and so episodic maybe it would hold their attention yeah
0: yeah i i don't know i was i was about their age when i saw this movie but it was it was shown to me by my older cousins who were two or three years older than me Uh um so uh I, I, I don't recall thinking there was anything – I was about 13 when I saw it. I don't recall thinking there was anything that I didn't understand. or, mm. or um,
1: Well, it was interesting to see they never showed Jeff Spicoli smoking pot. He would come out of the van and there would be <laughs> – Loud
0: right, smoke, exactly.
1: But you never see it actually inhaling.
0: No, you, you, you the, and even in the scene right before Mr. Hand shows up on the evening of the graduation dance, he's like, it, it, it's framed as after he's already lit up and he's.
1: <laughs> exactly, I'm so big. Yeah, he bangs on his head you with the that. shoe. Yeah. Um, right. So, like, was that? I guess they would have gotten an R rating or something. Like, you can't show drug use. You can just show on the post drug use. Right.
0: I believe the movie had an R rating. Um, I think there was, and I'm not sure why if I was if I'm not mistaken, universal, who was the studio for that movie did not have high hopes for it, which is why it was released sort of at the beginning of August, you know, a, a notoriously, a notoriously unprofitable time to, uh, mm. to drop a movie. Um, so if, Your kids saw this movie yesterday. Knowing what you know about them, uh, what do you think their reaction to it would be? Uh,
1: Well, I think they would... I think they would think that Jeff Spicoli is funny just because Mm -hmm. even without the drug humor, like ordering pizza into a classroom, that's Mm -hmm. funny. And the way he talks, that's funny. So I think they would like him. Uh, I'm not sure... I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're quite ready for it. I would give them another couple of years. What do you think? I,
0: you know, I, I, I kind of remember being, being the age of your oldest son when I saw this movie, I, I remember thinking it was very funny. I remember liking, I, I remember liking how, you know, kind of briskly it moved, I remember having a crush on Phoebe Cates and Jennifer Jason Lee, not really understanding the abortion plot line at all. Um, and I, I, I kind of I think I saw what I saw it as is, oh, this is interesting. This is what high school will be like. Mm. I, to me, it was like peeking through. It was like peeking through a keyhole right. into the next two years.
1: Right. Right. And did it uh, live up? to? Is that what high school was like for you? Not at all. I I, I went to
0: I went to kind (laughs) of a a pretentious hippie um, school in Ann Arbor that um, that uh, at the time was couldn't decide whether it was, you know, it was a it was a late 60s, you know, progressive education institution or it was a Reagan era, you know, hey, we're better than the public schools institutions. So. Mm, So. Right. They, they they had at the same time a dress code and a no locks on the locker policy, which which never quite added up to me. But um, <laughs> but no, my my high school was not as much fun as as Ridgemont High appeared to be. Um, and I had to, I, I had to kind of wait until till all the, the supervision fell away and I went to college to have those kind of adventures. Mm, right.
1: Even more fast times at college. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, it definitely. I went to a, you know, a small private school in New York and we did not the big difference to me was they the we didn't have the clicks. We didn't have the stoner, the jock uh, you know, the it was a much there were clicks but they were they were not as clearly defined. And that's what I I kind of missed that and you know, watching Pretty in Pink and seeing these very defined clicks. Uh, I was like, huh, I wonder which clique I would be in. And is it better to have a school where you have a very defined tribe that you can always hang out with, the emo tribe or whatever? Um, or is it is it better to have this sort of mishmash?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, definitely the idea of cliques, I get the sense it's far more complicated now than it used to be. Um, mm. th- there's a lot of click jumping, there's a lot of sort of clicks breaking together and forming, and, and um, it, it 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 seems like you're, you're, thanks to things like social media, your relative standing with people can change super fast.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to see fast times with social media, because uh, I, I wonder how that would go. Yeah,
0: I, I wonder the question I always come back to is, is would there be as much idle time? You know, I, mm. I, I, um, I, I wrote a thing when the breakfast club's birthday came around last March where I said, um, is, is the breakfast club really about how do we spend idle time? Like, like when was the mm-hmm. last time you spent eight hours with a complete stranger? Um,
1: <laughs>
0: and, uh, I, I, I find that Fast Times, despite feeling very much like the summer of 1982, ages incredibly well. Like,
1: I, I, oh yeah, I-, I was surprised too. And like you said, the, the abortion scene was so far ahead of its time and mm-hmm. handled with such subtlety and grace that, uh, that you, know, you could even say movies today don't do it as well. I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm making that up. I haven't uh, done a an in depth comparison. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Overall, aged incredibly well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that begs the question. You know, do
0: you do you in, in your movie watching life since Fast Times? What do you see as kind of the descendants of it? You know, it's it, it's nieces and nephews and and and, and great nieces and nephews.
1: I would say, well, I think the one of the big differences was it's. Reality. It was, It felt really real. So um, there's the movie Kids, which is uh, disturbing uh, and and I'm sure exaggerated and cartoonish in some ways. But at the same time, Kids felt very real in a in a similar way. It's like, oh, this is. And I didn't have any firsthand experience as to whether that's the way kids act, but it seemed like the way kids. act. High school kids acted uh, in that time period, uh, so to me, that was kids as sort of the um, the evil stepchild of Fast Times, because it's so much darker and less yeah. funny and fun, but it was it's also very real. Yeah, and the idea. What about you? What do you think? The idea that you can put
0: together the narrative of a young person's day, week, year simply from a series of episodes, like right. Because that's how young people kind of live. You don't. You don't really need to tell. You don't need. You don't need to, to stick to the unstructuredness of it. Is is kind of, is kind of part of the realism as to how young people live their lives.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I think. What I think, about you? What do you think? I I think I like to think of fast times in addition to being a great teen movie is a great like example of one of those movies that gets, that manages somehow to catch lightning in a bottle and get a bunch of young actors in it before they were famous. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I think that the, the, the sort of off the shelf term I've used is, is yearbook movies and, um, mm. So if, if Fast Times is that movie for the eighties, I think Dazed and Confused is that movie for the nineties. Oh yeah, uh, that's a
1: good point. Yeah. Um, which
0: which is which is a much more compressed time frame than Fast than Fast Times. Dazed and Confused is about like the last day of school. Um, right. But is very is very much told in the same kind of episodic way, where characters are kind of coming in and out of each other's storylines, and, and 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 again, is a movie where you look at it, you know, five or six years after it was made, and you look at how many people became famous after that movie, and some because
1: of being in that movie. Right. Uh, absolutely. What well, was? An, I guess Freaks and Geeks was another. It wasn't a movie, but another yearbook. Uh, like all those people went on to be uh, pretty incredible not all of them yeah. but uh, significant you know I, 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 think,
0: I think freaks and geeks is certainly the equivalent on television and that comes that comes right at the end of the 90s and the beginnings of the aughts so I'd, I, I'd i'd be okay with calling with you know it going fast times days and confused freaks and geeks <laughs> and and and, and have, Freaks and Geeks, you know, ostensibly took place in, in, in suburban Michigan, but really has the same sort of feeling of not a whole lot is going on um, right? the way Fast Times did. Or, you know, Phoebe Kate said, we can't even get cable TV in in, in Richmond, and you want romance. <laughs> tell me, um, tell me how, I, we'll wrap this up in just a second, but tell me, tell me, is there, are, are when you look at your when you look at your career as a writer, someone who has, someone who has spent a lot of time kind of, kind of focusing on, uh, looking at, looking at the different facets of a, uh, of a life choice. You know, you, 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 a lot of your books are you make a seemingly outrageous life choice and then hold it up to the light and kind of turn it in all of these different directions, be it. Mm-hmm be it right. reading the Encyclopedia Britannica or living according to biblical law or or outsourcing <laughs> everything you do to a personal assistant uh, or to a series of personal assistants across the globe. Um, tell, me, tell me, is there something about that you as a writer that Fast Times resonates with?
1: Well, I will say I... I don't know if it's a direct causal connection, but the fact that Cameron Crowe went undercover and lived a year as a high school student, I think is extraordinary. And I, and I love that idea. And, and this great book came out of it, which spawned this great movie. Um, I I don't do undercover that much. Uh, early in my career, I did. I, I went, I looked exactly like this movie star who uh, has since... Uh, faded a bit, He's, his name is Noah Taylor, and he was in the movie, um, what the heck was that movie called? It was the one about the schizophrenic pianist, oh, uh, yeah. Jeffrey Rush, Was that? Shine. Shine, right, right. So I looked eerily like Noah Taylor in Shine, who played uh, the pianist as you know a young man. And so I went, people were like, you look so much like him, you should just go to the Oscars. Uh, Because I was working at Entertainment Weekly and we found out he was not going to the Oscars. So I decided to go in his stead and I went on sort of undercover as a star. What's it like to be a movie star for a night? And I went to the Oscars, I put on a tuxedo and, you know, it worked. I had all of this paparazzi going nuts, people trying to interview me. Um, telling me how much they loved my work. And it was, you know, it was one of the great nights of my life uh, because I knew they weren't technically complimenting me. But you get that much positive feedback, it gets, you get a little egotistical. Uh, So, and I loved that experience, Uh, you know, and I was able to write an interesting, fun article, I hope, about it. So I would say, yeah, Cameron Crowe was one of these, like, Immersive journalists long before I came around. Uh, So I thank him for that.
0: A.J. Jacobs is the author of many a great book from the Know-It-All, where he read the entire, entire Encyclopedia Britannica, to The Year of Living Biblically, where he spent a year living according to biblical law. To the guinea pig diaries, a collection of essays, um, smaller versions of these experiments. And in the immortal words of Phoebe Cates, it's Linda Barrett, a personal <laughs> friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> you've got uh, a book about family coming out next month. What's that one called? It's All relative. It's All relative. So uh, adventures
1: an Up and Down the World's Family Tree. So yeah, that's out November 7th.
0: That'll be out November 7th. Keep an eye out for that. Thanks for talking to us, AJ.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Or aloha, I guess you can say aloha for goodbye or hello, right? So aloha, Kevin. Aloha,
0: Mr. Jacobs. Kids in 80s America is a production of Rare Bird Literary, produced and engineered by Jake Levins. Executive producers, Tyson Cornell and Julia Callahan. I'm Kevin Smokler, author of the new book, Brat Pack America, a love letter to 80s teen movies. We'll see you next time.